children up front and youth to the back. So another thing that's good about this morning is happy birthday. Um, a lot of you are like, what? It's not my birthday, but it is, right? Um, 499 looks good on all of you. Um, so welcome to the club, right? 499 is beautiful. Uh, what I'm talking about is today, we've said already in the service, we're celebrating Anabaptist World Fellowship Sunday. This is something that the global Anabaptist movement, global Anabaptist churches celebrate. And it's uh, the, the, the actual date of birth is January 21st. Um, so we believe in January 21st and 1525, Conrad Grable, which some of you may have heard of, Felix Mons, George Blorock, were kind of meeting as a small group. And we believe this is the first um, believer's baptism. We acknowledge that was the day it, it founded. So even though you had like confessions and groups here and there, this was the act, right? So as Global Anabaptists, today's our birthday. So happy 499. Um, I know it seems like a lot, so I give you a little historic recap, right, um, to bring it kind of closer to home. So this happens in 1525. About 100 years later in 1619 in Hampton, Virginia, the first enslaved African Americans touched these shores, right? You bring back another 100 years in 1776, America as we know it is founded, right? Another hundred or so years after that, 1865, we have the end of the Civil War. Um, another hundred years after that, about 1983 is the year I was born. So I'm just giving you recaps in history of the great hundred years, like what happens, great things every hundred years, you know? Um, but, but I think as we, y'all like that joke a little too much, you know? <laughs> But as we think about this Anabaptist World Fellowship, I was thinking about how, you know, this is really a celebration that goes across the world, right? We had the video from a couple years ago, but we now represent a group of people who come from all over the world. And I think that gets to the heart of this morning's message, how um, Jesus is good news for the world. So as we celebrate Anabaptist Royal Fellowship Sunday, we're celebrating a theology. You know, it's now very common for Christians all around to think believer's baptism is a normal thing, right? Like to think that like you choose to follow Jesus and you're being baptized. We come from a people who were killed for having this belief. We, we, we come from a people who introduced to Christianity the idea of separation of church and state. Some of us in America are still fighting that because we think God only blesses America. Right. But that's not just our fault. Right. The French had Catholics. The English had Anglican. Right. There's a lot of people who've married church and state. We come from a people who said, actually, no. Right. Like You have your American Constitution. We have the Bible. Right. We have who Jesus is and who he's revealed us to be. So we come from these people who not only separated church and state, who believed in nonviolence, but who believed there was a separate kingdom. That believe it or not, your king or president has different things that he wants you to be doing than Jesus, your savior. So this is the, the celebration of that theology, but it's also a celebration of triumph. Because these people believe these things that some of us take, you know, not just near and dear, but some of us take for granted, and they were killed for it. We come from people who were persecuted by saying, you as a, a young person, you as an adult, can make that decision to be baptized. We come from people who got killed for saying, I don't think the king and the church should be married. I don't think the constitution and the church could be married. That's the people we come from. So it's a celebration of, of theology, but also triumph. It's a celebration of, of history, but also heritage. Because it's not just the people who have come. 
We are now global Anabaptists, which means we're on every nation, right? We are in most of the nations of the world. We're on every continent. This is a global family that we belong to. So it's not just those who have come. It's those who are here. And some of us and all of us should be working for those still to come. So we celebrate this morning a history and a heritage. We celebrate our king who is Jesus and belonging to the kingdom of Jesus, not the kingdom of the world. But in all this celebration, we remember that Jesus' entire teaching is good news, not just for us here in Harrisburg, but for the world. We're going to be in Luke 14 this morning, but in the chapter before, in Luke chapter 13, it gives us Luke's version of the parable of the mustard seed, where Luke writes, Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall it compare to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. In this small little parable, Jesus starts off by saying something that's very insignificant, something that, that, that maybe was common, but no one valued, right? It starts off small, but then it grows into a tree. And what is this tree but a home and a hospital for not just the, the people he first came to, but for the entire world? And theologians from the beginning of when Jesus gives this mustard seed parable till now point out that the birds represent not the Jewish people, but the world. So even in this mustard seed parable that we hold on to, it's not just, oh, the kingdom starts small and it goes big. It's the kingdom starts small and it goes to the world. Our Jesus is good news for the world. Amen. And that is what we're invited into. And so this morning, as we continue Luke, God, uh, good news for the lost, our focus this morning is how Jesus, our Jesus, is actually just good news for the world. And it's an invitation not just to the world, but to us as well. If you have your Bibles, turn now to Luke chapter 14. I'll be reading verses 15 to 24. Um, we will also have it up front so you can follow there as well. This morning I was giving blessing on blankets, so hopefully I can read without saying blanket. Now that I've said blanket, I'll probably say blanket, but that's as many blankets as I'll say. Luke 14, chapter, chapter 14, verse 15. You'll get it. You'll see. It's fine. Maybe I won't say blanket. I don't know. Verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. The servant came back and reported to this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered the servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads in the country, lanes, and, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my blanket. I was feeling so good, too. I was, like, ready to celebrate. Not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Almost did it, y'all. I almost did it. Uh, let's pray. For me, mostly, but no, I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Our Father, God, we thank you so much for this beautiful invitation that you give to us. 
Lord, it's an invitation to follow you. It's an invitation to move from dark to light. It's an invitation to, to, to acknowledge, yes, our brokenness, but to know that you can be our healer. It's in a, a, a chance to acknowledge, yes, we have sinned and fell short, but, Lord, the wages of sin may be death, but the gift of God is you, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we thank you for this invitation that welcomes us into your body, into your family, that makes us one with you. Lord, praise you for the invitation. Holy Spirit, thank you for the conviction that leads us to you. Thank you for taking our words and our prayers and giving it to the Father. Father God, thank you for loving us, holding us, carrying us, making it possible that we can come home again. Lord Jesus, our Christ, thank you for not only leaving heaven to come to earth, not only being the one of radiance taken on skin, not only walking this earth, but you died and you died for us so that we who are sinful can then be redeemed, so that we who had fallen short can now know heaven. So that we who were wayward children can now be welcomed back home. So, Lord, we thank you for this invitation that brings us home. But, Lord, now as we go into our text, we pray that we may be people who have accepted the invitation, yes. Accepted the ultimate salvation, yes. But your banquet is still available to us today, too. We don't just have to dream and hope of heaven. So, Lord, help us now to be ready today. Help us now to be humble today. Help us now to, to think back not only at our invitation, but perhaps who is forgotten in our world. Who are those on the outside looking in? Because, Lord, you've called us not just to accept our invitation, but to do the work of becoming hosts too. May we be faithful servants who go out into the roads and the byways. May we be faithful servants who go out to those who are marginalized and left behind. May we be faithful as you've been faithful to us that no one is forgotten and everyone is invited. Because the table is so big, Lord, and you don't return till it's filled. May we be faithful to you as you are faithful to us. In your holy and precious name, amen. So in Luke 14, when we believe, when we begin this passage, it starts off in verse 15 by saying, when one of those at the table heard him, heard him say this. What's fascinating and interesting about that is that our, our passage this morning not only starts in the middle of Luke, but it's mid-story, right? We're hearing that those at the table, which means there's something else going on that has already happened before we get to this point of the story. So what exactly is going on? Well, first we learn in, in the beginning of Luke 14 that Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's house. I think this is interesting because quite often we talk about Jesus and the Pharisees. It's a contentious uh, a relationship, right? It, it is a debate. It, there's something going on. But one of the fascinating things about Jesus and one of the challenging things about Jesus is if you disagree with him, he doesn't disown you. I know this is hard for us as American Christians. It's really hard, right? But Jesus, if you disagree with him, he does not disown you. Jesus is willing to not just meet people where they're at, but meet people who vehemently disagree with him. Even furthermore, Luke has mentioned time and time again so far in the text that these same Pharisees were what? Looking to kill Jesus. Yet and still, he meets with them. On their grounds, not just theologically, but in their house. That should inspire us to not fear, right, when we disagree. But to know that our work is actually to go to those hard places, make ourselves available, and what? Share the invitation that God has given to us. So they're trying to kill him. They have a contentious relationship with him. And they invite him to dinner and he says, yes, I love to eat. I will be there. So Jesus shows up, and he's at the Pharisee's house, and they're eating. 
And what's interesting is that they're going to pose this question. And now, I, I shared this before. We talked about uh, banquets. Did it. We talked about banquets. I talked about how in our culture, when we invite people, right, you invite people over to dinner, you know, they come over, you close the door, you sit down and eat. That was not the practice back then. The practice was when you invited people, it was probably closer to our idea of banquet. When you invited people, you had your esteemed guests, you had your guests of honor, but then because you wanted to show either how pious and religious and good you were, or if you just wanted to show how much money you had, you'd open the doors, right? You might not have food for everyone, but they can at least see you eating good, right? They, they might not hear everything your guests of honor is saying, but they can at least be like, I was there. You know, like I was one of the 50 people who squinted and saw, right? So to their banquets are a little bit different than our dinner tables. So the idea here was that you would have your guests of honor, you would have all these people. And, and so the Pharisees, when they invite Jesus to dinner, another thing I think is important for us to hold on to, this wasn't just like, hey, um, let's just hang out, right? This was certainly a test. So they would be gathered all around them. Now, what we learned in the story is that at the table, Jesus notices a man with dropsy. Dropsy is a condition where you would have a buildup of fluid um, in some part of the body. So Jesus notices this physical condition. And Jesus, because he's Jesus and brilliant, and is like, oh, you want to play games. You want to have a test. Let's have a test for you. Y'all, I'm wondering, is it actually a good thing to heal on the Sabbath? And now the Pharisees have an existential crisis. Because if they say, yes, it's good to heal on the Sabbath, that's considered work. And they're going against their own teaching. Not God's teaching, but their own teaching. That's significant. But if they say no, this person who's suffering gets to keep suffering. And because Jesus is Jesus, he doesn't stop there, right? He doesn't just stop with the existential crisis. He's like, listen, in case all of y'all didn't get it, some of y'all might be in the back, right? Let's, let's bring it even more closer to home. So he asks them again, not just is it good for this man to be healed. He says, listen, what if you had something valuable like oxen? Right? And it was trapped or, or, or stuck. Like, like is, it, is, it, is it work? Is it okay to go get that? And there's no response. Now, in the ancient text and ancient writers, um, in this kind of writing specifically, if there's a situation that's posed as, as either an argument or which is better, right, what's going on here, if there is no response, right, there's a sense of not just defeat but concession. So Luke is saying that, like, Jesus not only bested them in the mind, he gave them a practical example because no one across that table would say, yeah, if one of my oxen was trapped, I'm going to be like, yo, it's work. I'm not going to go get them. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to, you're on your own till Sunday morning, right? Like, all of them would go. And so Jesus is saying this, like, what's more valuable to y'all, a, a, a piece of meat <laughs> or an actual person who's suffering? And so that's the framework of what's happening around the dinner table. Furthermore, after he heals the man on the Sabbath, right, Jesus then has this teaching on humility. Because unlike us, or maybe very much like us, right, we are all about guests of honor. So Jesus has this teaching on humility. And I love that Jesus defines readiness as humility. For those of us who grew up in the church, when we hear about readiness, is are you ready? Have you accepted Jesus? Have you made the choice to follow Jesus? And that's still true. But in our story, in our context, that's not the question Jesus is asking. Jesus defines readiness by your ability to be humble. Readiness by not you running to be in the front to sit next to Jesus, but by you actually making room for someone else. 
Jesus defined, are you ready with are you willing to put others first? And after he lays that foundation, he gives this teaching where he forget or he remembers the forgotten, where he says, no, no, no. We need to also, when we invite people, don't just be inviting people who you like or people who are familiar. Remember the forgotten. Remember the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And in so doing, in this first half of Luke 14, Jesus kind of through his teaching, through his healing, through his existential crisis that he put upon these people is saying this loud and clear, I want the world. I want the world. Not just those you are familiar with. Not just those who want to sit next to you. Not just those you like. I want the world. And he introduces this idea of, I have not just invited you, right? I want to use you to invite the world to. And so that's the framework of what just happened when this person speaks up, right? When this person says, well, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus is now going to say that the, the banquet that he's talking about, I believe, is that the banquet is now. Yes, we want to feast with the familiar. We want to eat with the people we like, right? We want to invite. I'm not going to invite you into my house if I don't like you. That's weird to us in our setting, right? Like we want to feast with the familiar. But Jesus is going to also lay this foundation that I want the people who wander and wonder. I want my table to not be empty but filled. And I want them to come and enjoy this feast. Why? Because I want the world. So this person that cries out, I, I had to check myself because I want to say this man that cries out, but you know, men are always quiet and docile. Like they would never be a man, right? But so we're just going to go and say this person, right? This person that cries out said, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. What's interesting about that is that perhaps this person is prompted by the Holy Spirit, right? Maybe that's just the word that came to them. Maybe this person is, is prompted, and it's like a good thing, right? It's just like, wow, I got everything that you're saying, Jesus, and so I want to bless you when the kingdom comes. But what I think is interesting is that we often think about the banquet, think about the feast as the world to come. In this story, I would argue that Jesus is like, yeah, 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 that banquet's coming too, but it's a banquet afforded to you today. And so that's the invitation he's talking about, right? This one tries to make it like, yeah, we're going to be so blessed when the kingdom come. And Jesus seems to switch the narrative to be like, but you can be blessed today. And it's within that context that he's going to teach a parable. We've talked about parables before tons. We said parables are basically, you know, earthly stories, stories everyone can relate to with some kind of heavenly or kingdom meaning. And so in this parable, Jesus is going to shift this man's thinking and his audience is thinking from, yeah, I can't wait till the day of the Lord. I can't wait till we have the, the, the banquet in the kingdom to come. So what does that look like today? And, and so he tells this story. And the story says there's a man, there's a powerful man who, who sends his servant to the invited to say, hey, we're ready. Right? And, and, and so he goes out and he says, we're going to have a feast. He invites all these people. They RSVP. And now everything's all set up. And he says, hey, we're ready. And he sends out his servant. And yet when the servant goes, every single person makes an excuse not to come. The first one says, yo, I, I know I RSVP'd. <laughs> I know, like, I said I was coming, but I just bought a field. And, you know, like, the field's not going to check itself. I have to go actually look at my field. All right? The second person the servant goes to says, I know, I RSVP'd, I said I was going to be there, I was planning on being there, but I just bought five yokes of oxen, and, you know, I got to make sure they're ready to go and they're good to go, right? The last person that the servant goes to says, you know, 
I just got married, you know, like, I never thought I would get married. Who, who would marry me? But she married me, and it happened. We got married, so I, I can't make it, you know? All of them have excuses of why they can't come to the feast, to the banquet. And what's interesting is remember that Jesus defines readiness as humility. Readiness as putting the other person first. If someone invited you and you said you were coming and they made plans for you coming. I was trying to think of a modern context, right? And probably the quote I can come up with is for those of us who've been married or those of us who will be married. But just imagine a wedding that you're tasked with planning, right? And, and the venue tells you you can only have 50 people. Right? And you work really hard. You hope your family and friends don't disown you. You pick the 50 people, and then the night before, you're like, hey, everything's set to go Saturday. And they're like, hey, I got this new job, you know, and, like, my boss is kind of like a taskmaster. I can't take off, right? So you go to the next person, and be like, these kids. <laughs> like, no, I try to find a babysitter, but nobody wants these kids, right? Like, I just, I can't come, right? You go to the next person, and just like... I know you're going to have your wedding, but I'm still on my honeymoon. I can't come, right? And, and the reason I bring that up is because the, the, the story says that the man, after the servant comes back, is angry. And my first reading of the story as a kid, I'm just like, I think this guy needs therapy. You know, like, it's just like you have a party, you don't want to come. It's not that big of a deal, right? But if it's a party that you plan for, <laughs> if it's a party that you invited them to, if it's a party that they said, yes, they were coming. And if it's a feast, right, especially if this is in 2024, you know you're doing dietary restrictions, right? Like, you know you're doing, like, like at least, like, seven different kinds of food options, right? Like, just to make sure anyone can eat something. Because you're going to have somebody who's gluten-free, somebody who's dairy-free, somebody who believes in vegetables. You're going to have something that you need to work with, right? And, and so you know you're going to put a lot of work, a lot of effort. And here's the thing. You might understand where this man is coming from, right? Like, let's have a party. Everyone's invited. No one shows up. They all have these excuses. But what I love is after he goes through that natural emotion and feeling of anger and frustration, he remembers and invites the forgotten. Remember, we started off saying that these, these banquets were filled with the important people close. And, and so you have to think that when he was inviting to this feast, these were the important people. And because the important people or his people were too busy to come, he goes out and he says, you know what? Why don't you go out and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind? Why don't you invite them in here? And what happens? The servant obeys, right? The servant goes out. He brings in the forgotten. And even after he brings in all the forgotten, he looks at the table and says, but hey, <laughs> there's still more room. We actually have more room. And the man like God, the man in the story wants, he wants people who have wandered and wondered. He wants his table to be filled. He wants not just the important people close to him, but he wants the world. So what does he do? He says, listen, go and get even more. And so then after the servant comes back, after the table is full, this is how the story ends, right? It says this, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. When I first used to read that verse, I landed with a lot of people who, who looked at that verse as an exclusionary verse, right? Like it was just like Jesus came to one set of people, they rejected him, now they don't get to taste the banquet. That's a little bit of revisionist history. It's a bit of history that forgets what actually has happened in the story. Because this is not a text about God rejecting people. God desires what? That all would be saved. This isn't about God's rejection. 
This is about God sending the invitation and people rejecting God first. That's not exclusionary. You know, when I was a kid, we were very creative in Southwest Philly. We used to have this uh, Boys and Girls Bible Club, and we used to call it B&G Club. Very creative. And, and so after your first year, the very first night of B&G Club, you, you're a veteran, right? And the veterans weren't allowed to sit anywhere in the first two rows. Because every first night, one of our leaders would get up there and he'd pull out a dollar. Now, I know y'all are just like, a dollar? What's a dollar, right? I venture you to go on Google later, when you get on the Google, look up how much a 1994 dollar is worth today, right? It might change some things, right? There was spending point money in that dollar. And we as veterans knew the trick, because what would happen is this, this leader would hold up a dollar and says, who wants the dollar? And then all the new kids would have these existential crises because we live in this zero-sum world, right? We live in a world where, like, I can't have unless you lose or what do you want me to do for this dollar? We don't believe anything is free, right? So you see these kids just like, I don't know. I just, I'm new here. Like, what do you do? Like, what do you mean I can have a dollar? But there was always one. There was always one little girl, little boy, who was like, you know what? I'm not down with existential crisis. I'm going to test out this little theory, right? And so that little boy and little girl, their job was to beat the rest of us who are on, like, the 10th row who are sprinting up to the dollar and to go up and get what? And snatch that dollar. And the reason I remember that story is because that's how God's invitation works. It's free. It's available. But it has no power unless we accept it. And that's why he did that every year, to show them that, like, you have to accept the gift. And so what's fascinating about this story is that we are invited. And so when this man says they will not taste of the banquet, it's because they've rejected that invitation. And what I love about it is that Jesus is not being exclusionary. But the challenge for us this morning, though, is that if that banquet is available to us today... What are the things that's keeping us from tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? Jesus is going to expand this story, this teaching, beyond just moral and to speak in on the kingdom. So we've been saying Jesus is good news for the world. What are some things we can pull from here? The first one I think is just simply this. Jesus has extended the invitation to all. We have a God who desires that all would be saved. And yes, I grew up. In a, you know, hellfire and brimstone. We need to make sure, right? Like I was the kind of kid who went to summer camp and be like, I accepted Jesus, but I'm not sure. They're yelling too much this time. So I mean, I mean I'm going to accept Jesus again just to cover. You know what I mean? Like, just to make sure I'm double covered. And then the next year, guess what? Listen, I know I did it twice already, but he's yelling some more. So let's do triple coverage, right? So when we think about the invitation of Jesus, I do think it's, it's, it's worth asking, have we accepted have we made that decision to say, yes, Lord, I have fallen short? Have we made that decision to say, yes, Lord, I can't save myself? Lord, I need you. Yes, I need you. Every day, every hour, I need you. Have we made that decision to accept Jesus and say, yes, I have fallen short? But I thank you for your free gift, God. I thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for not only convicting me of my sin, but bringing me to the point of accepting the Father where I can come home again. And that's the first question. But I think the more meaningful question in light of this context, though, is to say, listen, what if Jesus is not just talking about that decision you made long ago, but how are you tasting the banquet today? Because here's the thing. 
This story isn't just about the first people Jesus came to. When you make that decision to follow Jesus, guess what you become? Jesus' people. You become Jesus' family. You become Jesus' body. You're the one who's invited. But there's so many of us who if we do an honest assessment of where we are, we are not enjoying Jesus' banquet. We are not able to taste and see that the Lord is good. There's a lot of us who are too busy to accept Jesus' invitation to taste and see that he's good. Because when Jesus invites us in, we might say something like, I just got to get through this project. I just got to get these kids through school. I just have to, you know, like, like clean myself up and, and kind of do the things I need to do before I can come. There's so many of us who are actually too busy to enjoy who God is. So the question is, 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 are you too busy to actually taste and see that the Lord is good? Are you carrying so much that you can't imagine putting it down, sitting down, and resting in the spirit of the Lord? Is your plate so full that you can't even eat what God has to give you? You ever be so hungry, right, that you stuff your plate and then you sit down, you take a bite, and you're just like disgusted at yourself? Is that just me? This is me, right? We will not be able to taste and see that the Lord is good if we're carrying so much on our backs. If we're so busy, we cannot stop. If we have so much else going on that we cannot just enjoy the presence of God. Jesus then also in this passage shows us that he desires the humble. And the humble are those who, who put others first. So the, the, the readiness, right, here isn't just do I accept Jesus. The readiness is am I living in a way that I'm putting others first? Because we live in a society and a culture and being humans, our natural tendency is to put me first. And if we're a little bit gracious in that, we'll put me in mine first. But that's not the way of the kingdom. So when Jesus says, are you ready here? The challenge for us is am I living in a way to put others first? So I'm going to challenge all of us this week to just choose one way, find one way to put others first. And I'm not talking about the cheap and easy ways either, right? Like if you're walking to the door and, and someone's carrying a heavy bag and you run and open the door for them, that's what you should do normally, right? Like you don't get to be like, well, yeah, I did the challenge. You know, I, I helped that lady get through the door, right? That's great, but you should do that all the time. I want us to actually... Go home this afternoon, spend some time with the Lord, and think about something sacrificial you can give, you can do to help put someone else first. Because I feel like if we all adapted that personality or that mentality, excuse me, that mentality, we will be able to show the love of Christ even more than we are now. So are you ready? So are you ready this week to do something concrete, something that's sacrificial, that literally puts the other person first? And in light of that, Jesus in the story, in the first half, in the second half, he keeps remembering the forgotten, the poor, the lame, the blind, the crippled, the marginalized. I think it's important for us to also spend some critical time this week remembering the forgotten. Who are the marginalized in your life? Who are those that are out, not just on the margins, that don't fit in? Who are those that, that can't see the light of God because there's darkness all around them? 
Who are those that just need some encouragement? One of the things I've learned is that when we talk about loving people, we ought to become PhDs and experts in loving people in a way they can receive it. Right? If someone loves encouragement, right, I should be encouraging them. If they love and that's how they receive love is encouragement and I'm giving them a gift, that's not loving them. It's me trying on my convenient schedule, but if I know that they get encouragement, I should be blessing them with words and cards and stuff like that to encourage their spirit. We have to love people in a way they can receive it. Because if they don't receive it as love, are we actually loving them or just making ourselves feel better? Love people in a way they can receive it. So I want us this week to spend time just thinking, reflecting. Maybe you already have the person on your mind or the people on your mind or the situation on your mind of people who are somewhat on the outside, marginalized, and think about what's a way I can remember them this week. Because remember, in the first half at the dinner table, in the second half in the parable, Jesus moves us from the invited guests to the loving host. It is your job now to go out into the world and bring those people home. Why? Because Jesus wants the world. I love that in this parable, the man, after inviting as many as he could think of, the servant comes to him and the servant says, but the table is still empty. There's more to come. All of us who follow Jesus know at least this one thing. Jesus is not coming back until the table is full. Jesus is not coming back until that last person is saved. So on this side of heaven, I want us to think about what is one way I can, you can, we can, what is one way we can make space at the table this week? What is one way you can invite someone else in to the table? I love in this story that the servant never questions the master. The servant is obedient to the master, but the servant is a reminder to us that we who are invited now ought to be doing the inviting. That we who were blessed now ought to be doing the blessing. That we who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good ought to be inviting others to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Jesus extends the invitation. May we not be too busy. May we be able to stop so that we can taste and see the Lord is good. Jesus desires us to put others first, to be humble. May we find ways to put others first this week. Jesus remembers the forgotten. May we think of not just those on the margins, but those even closer to us sometimes who are also forgotten and lonely and feel forsaken. May we find a way to spend some time remembering the forgotten this week. And if our God wants the world, my goodness gracious, he's given us everything. May we be humble enough to go out and give him the world. Amen. Well, we're going to be taking in communion together. The worship team is going to come up. Um, we realized this week as we were talking about having communion up front that for a lot of you, um, this might be the first time you've done communion this way. Even for a lot of us old timers, again, old is not an ageist term, right? Old just means that you're in this building before March 1, 2020, right? If you're in this building before March 1, 2020, you're old, right? Like if you got problems with that, you and the spirit can work it out. But that's just the definitions, right? But for a lot of us, we haven't taken communion this way. So I do have some um, directions to give you. Um, and just follow the person in front of you. If you don't, if you zone out right now, just follow the person in front of you. But basically, that's what we're going to do. Um, starting with the first row on your section, uh, you will exit from the right side of your row. You'll come up. You'll receive the elements at the station. Um, and then after that, you will re-enter your row on the left-hand side, right? 
Also, we're going to have deacons up here that's giving you the elements. We have the first rows open. Um, if you want to take the elements and go back to your seat and pray, that's fine. But if you want to stop up front, pray, do some work with the Lord, that's also very much invited. You're welcome to partake of the elements as you receive them, or you're welcome again to take some time in the front row. Once the deacons, um, we also, if you are for some reason not able to come up, just raise your hand. We have elements in the back. We can bring them to you. So that's also an option. Um, as you go through, there's going to be baskets in the middle uh, on some of the pillars to collect your empty cups and bread bags. Um, I now want to do some of our liturgy and invite you to the table. We now come... We now invite you to come to this table, not because we must, but because we may. Come to testify, not that we are perfect, but that we sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come, not because we are strong, but because we are weak. Not because we have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in our frailty we stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before us, let us lift up our minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to us the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and blessed it, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing. And he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much for your humble invitation. That you, the God of this world, the God of everything, the God of the entire universe and all there is, all there ever will be, were humble enough to invite us in. Though we are far, Lord, you've made it possible to bring us near. Though we were children of darkness, you made it possible for us to be children of light. Though we had sinned and fallen short, you bring us not only salvation and redemption, but a chance to come home again. Lord Jesus, our Christ, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. For the suffering you went through so that we could not know that agony. For the death that we could not die. For the payment that we cannot make, Lord, you shed your blood. Your blood that forgives us of our sins. Your blood that not only shows that, yes, you suffered and died, Lord, but you did it for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for tuning our ears and tuning our hearts to not only hear this invitation, but to come humbly before you. So yes, Lord, we now come to this table grateful for a God who loves us, grateful for a Jesus who died for us, Grateful for the power of the Spirit that raised him from the dead. So, Lord, we celebrate at the table today, looking to invite others to your table today and in the kingdom to come. In your holy and precious name, amen. Please join now in the communion response. My sisters and brothers, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? My sisters and brothers, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Come to the table.
this time, I'd like to invite um, any of the pastors that are up. Uh, we're going to have our closing song, um, inviting you again to the table. Um, as we stand and sing this song, may you be flooded with people who um, you can think about inviting even this week. May you be flooded with people who are forgotten and left behind by our society that you can help put an arm around, say a prayer for, give the love of God to. Um, also, we'll be up front. Any of the pastors in the room will be up front here to pray for you. Um, I've been trying to harp on this too. You know, we're here to pray not only for something to happen in the service or, or like heavy things. We'd love to pray for that. But if you have things to celebrate, we'd love to celebrate with you in prayer for that as well. So if you'd like prayer for anything, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Um, let's stand and sing um, as we think about coming to the table together and making room for the other. Let's stand and sing. Come all proud, come all greedy, come all liars, come all shamed, come all wealthy, come receive it to the table, come today. Come all broken, come all needy, come all poor, come all slaves. Come all rulers, come be seated. Come all sinners, come all saints. And come to the table from near and far. Come from the shadows, come out of the dark. There's room by the table we saved you a seed come to the banquet come join in the feast come all broken come all needy come all poor come all slaves Come all rulers, come be seated. Come all sinners, come all saints. Come to the table, come eat and drink. There's no inner circle. Come dine with the king. Recline table come let down your guard you're never a stranger just come as you are come Come be loved.
and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in God. We love you, Lord, our strength. The Lord is our rock and our fortress and our deliverer. Our God is our rock in whom we take refuge, our shield and the horn of our salvation, our stronghold. We remain confident in this. We will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Our Father, our God, we thank you that we have been invited in, that we who are far, yes, Lord, have been brought near. We thank you that we who are sinners and fell short are now redeemed, saved by grace through faith. Lord, we thank you that this invitation is not just for the banquet to come, but it's an invitation today too. So Lord, if we are honest and look at our lives and, and we can honestly say, we're not tasting and seeing that you're good, help us, Lord to drop these things that are holding us back and keeping us from you. Lord, they may be good things, but they're not the best thing. Lord, if there are things that are just working so much and we don't know what we're working for, Lord, help us to be able to take a step back and do the simple assessment. Is it for the kingdom? Is it for the glory of God? Then yes, let's pursue it. But if it's not for the kingdom and the glory of God, may we be brave enough to let some things go. God, help us to be faithful as you are faithful. And Lord, as we think about this invitation, help us to be ready. And ready is not just choosing to follow you, making acceptance, to, to, or every day surrendering to the Spirit. Readiness is putting each other first, putting others before ourselves. God, help us to make room. There's so many in our world right now who feel forgotten and forsaken, who feel not only alone, but feel like there's nothing good in this world, who only feel the dark and don't believe in the light. Yet, Lord, you've left the Spirit and you've left us the church. So, Lord, help us to be that kingdom and a kingdom of priests. Help us to be faithful to them as you've been faithful to us. Lord, for our people, those you put in our lives, help us to give a word this week, an encouragement this week, a prayer this week, a hug this week. Help us to find a way to reach out to them, to let them know they are not forgotten. That they may not believe it, they may not see it, but that love of God that we know lives inside of us can pour out of us into them. Lord, help us to remember those who are marginalized. We live in a world that, that of all human existence, there's so many people we always leave behind. May we not be a church, may we not be a family, may we not be a con congregation, may we not be your body who leaves people behind. Lord, teach us how to make seat at the table. Teach us how to make room for more people at the table. Lord, we thank you so much that in this invitation, you've not only called us to be guests, but Lord, somehow, someway, you've trusted us to be servants that go out. So in the byways and the highways, in our conversations and relationships, and those who are far and near, Lord, may we be your faithful kingdom of priests.
May we be your faithful bridge builders. May we be your faithful people who invite others in. We accept and are grateful for your invitation. We accept the call, the command, the challenge to now go out and bring others in as well. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for our seat at the table. But thank you that the table is not complete and you have chosen us to do the work of our lifetime. May we be faithful to you as you're faithful to us. In your holy and precious name, amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.